Today, we're talking all things real estate with Ben Callie of Wellings Capital. We're going to dive in and figure out what you need to be thinking about in today's landscape with real estate. And if you like this episode, make sure to smash that like button and subscribe so you don't miss any of my pro tips. All right, let's jump in with Ben. Investing Secrets with Kevin Attride. Ben Colley is the Chief Operating Officer of Wellings Capital, a great and an amazing organization that is helping investors from a number of different aspects. Ben, thank you and welcome to our show today. Kevin, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, Ben, I'm interested. Can you guide us a little bit more about who you are, uh, your experience and your organization? I have been working with Wellings Capital for the past seven years. It's actually the only job that I've had since graduating college. Um, I met the founder of Wellings back in 2014. I was a realtor when I was in college. I knew I wanted to do something in real estate. And honestly, it's it's the power of connections, right? I mean, one one person you get connected to can change the the direction of your life. And, and that's really what happened for me. And, you know, just for background on, on what Wellings Capital does, we're a real estate private equity firm. So we raise money from high net worth investors and we deploy it into primarily self-storage and mobile home parks. And a few other commercial real estate asset classes that have similar mom and pop owned characteristics. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, we have about 550 investors with us today. We just launched our sixth fund. And uh, I mean, as as we record this now, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're more thankful than ever to be in the asset classes that we're in. Well, thank you. I'm really interested to dive in and and really understand your expertise as it relates to how you're helping investors you know, we have a broad and diverse audience, uh, and we're really interested in your practical tips or your secrets to investing, especially in today's climate. I mean, th- this is th- this is what I would you know say to a close friend, family members. I-, I would say, like you, you invest in what you know the best. Like you can't expect to go out and be an expert in all of the different asset classes out there. There's so many options today, right? There's more there's more options than ever for investing. And if you don't feel like diving super deep yourself, which is totally fine, that's why there's financial advisors and there's other people out there that that hopefully you can trust and that do have that deep understanding in whatever asset class you're working with. I think the very best thing you can do is get exposure to as many different groups and companies as possible. And that way you can really start comparing and contrasting and getting a sense of what's normal. When the dollar isn't buying what it used to, I recommend McIlvaney ICA for your gold and silver IRA or private collection to hold value for decades. Yeah, Ben, that's really helpful. Go a little deeper around seeking after those with expertise. You you mentioned a lot of different asset classes and um, how does one really understand someone, whether they're an advisor and their talent or you know, somewhat of expertise, you know, such as your firm, how does someone vet those individuals? I'll give an example just for myself. So my day job is private equity, commercial real estate. This is where I invest my own money and my wife and I's money more than anywhere else by far. I believe I have an advantage there in this space because it's where I'm spending the vast majority of my time. Um, even outside of working hours, I'm always reading and listening to podcasts and listening to books and trying to learn as much as I can. So I have an advantage there. If you have the desire to get into a particular asset class, I would say go as deep as you can into that and figure out if it's a good fit for your risk tolerance and your goals and your family and all of that. I think if you don't have a desire, that's when you can 
partner or come into relationship with or work with in some way, someone who does have that expert knowledge and that expert understanding. And you just need to be able to vet out that person. Ben, that's helpful. And as I talk to a number of individuals, some consider themselves investors, some don't. So many people just invest in the stock market. They're with you know, one of the large brokerages or their employer. How do you help people or what do you suggest are the practical tips for someone who says, maybe I want to explore something other than just the stock market? It's a great question. I think it first starts with, you know, why do you want to get out of the stock market? Like, what are your goals? What are you investing? And, and what's your time horizon that you're looking at? Are you looking for money that you're, you know, or do you have money available that you're not going to really need to live off of for the next 10 years? These are all questions you got to start with. Um, my mind was really expanded in the world of alternatives, not just real estate. And I, and the more I kind of got into alternatives and when I say alternatives, I, I mean like businesses, like small businesses, investing in small businesses for cash flow, which there's a lot of companies that do that. Um, things like investing in ATM machines, things like investing in life, life insurance settlements, music royalties. There's all these unusual things in the alternative space and, and they're not a match for everyone, but and you really have to. Um, start with that. Start with why. Yeah, I mean, so so often people are only educated of save yeah. your money and put it in the stock market, whether that's yeah. through your employer or through one of the major brokerages. Well, yeah. How do you suggest people start looking into thing uh, investments that are not just the stock market through their employer or brokerage? I think just education, like educating yourself as much as possible. Get all the books you can on that particular subject. Get connected to people who already know that space, or at least can introduce you to someone in that space. Um, I think in alternatives, almost all the knowledge, and even in private commercial real estate, almost all the knowledge passes from person to person way more than from a book. Books are awesome. You need to read books. But the, the people, personal connections, I, I've personally gleaned more from those than any book. Podcasts, articles. There, there's so many resources um, that you could get into and just start getting exposed to it all. Ben, Go back to some practical tips. What other tips do you have for the average investor, especially when it comes to you know, thoughts around recession-resistant commercial real estate, such as you know, your expertise? There's a number of paths to get involved in real estate. There's the, there's the active side where they will buy a home, fix it up, rent it out, maybe refinance it. And they'll, and they'll try to build a, a portfolio of single family rentals, maybe duplexes, quadplexes, maybe some smaller multifamily. And they manage that themselves or they have a third party property manager, but they're the one that's sourced the property, made all the decisions, put their own money in, got the loan themselves. Like that's the active side. That's not for everyone. I think it is, it is well suited for some people, but what we've seen with our investors is a lot of people start that process. Like let's say, and let's, and, and all of our folks are high net worth or high earners. So we've had a number of doctors, dentists, lawyers, um, people that are making good money from their day job. And they're like, well, I need to do something with my money. I'm going to, and I want to get in real estate. I want something more stable, et cetera. But then they get into it and they realize that that active side of things, it's not as easy or enjoyable or even as predictable as they thought it was getting into it. It's definitely not for everyone. And you really got to recognize like, where's your strengths? And could I make more money by just focusing more on my job and, uh, and, and putting that money elsewhere? And so, you know, th this is not a, meant to be a pitch for Wellings, but, you know, for a lot of our investors, they come to us because they want 
that they want to be passive fully. So people can give us their 50,000, their 100,000, $500,000, whatever. And instead of that money going into one single family rental or a one duplex or a quad or whatever, it gets kind of immediately diversified across dozens of self-storage facilities, mobile home parks, and maybe a couple other, maybe RV parks, depending on the fund. And so that's, that's kind of a, you know, there's active and passive and then there's hybrids of that. So, I mean, I think you really got to figure out where you're going before you start. I think a lot of people just start and they hope they end up in the right place and they don't really assess their own strengths and their own weaknesses and tendencies and time that they have available. You know, you're not going to be able to predict everything, but you got to at least try to figure out the high level things before you start. All right, Ben, I want to go a little bit deeper, knowing that this is not individualized guidance. This is education. I'm interested in your suggestions, what you're telling your clients, what you're telling your family and friends, what should they be doing, especially in our economic climate today? We have set up our fund and our company and our investments in such a way that we anticipate that they will perform well through a downturn, through an economic recession. So just for a bit of context, so we're investing in self-storage, mobile home parks primarily to a lesser degree, RV parks and multifamily and uh, light industrial or small bay industrial. And what do these asset classes have in common? Well, historically, they performed well, meaning there was no, not a significant um, decrease in revenue and occupancy and um, all the other kind of KPIs like that through downturns. So the, the most recent one being 2008, 9, 10, the great uh, financial crisis. All those asset classes did well. Mobile home parks, actually, I think they were the only... Um, the only asset class in, in that time frame that continued and, and didn't really have a drop overall in NOI growth or net operating income. And so what are we telling people? Okay, you know, look for asset classes that are not correlated to the broader market as a whole. Mobile home parks are looked at as the bottom rung on the housing ladder. So at the top of that ladder, you have your single family homes and, you know, single family rentals and... You have your class A apartments, B apartments, C apartments, sometimes even D apartments, and then at the very bottom, mobile home parks. And after mobile home parks, often, you know, it's it's under a bridge or, or a homeless shelter. Um, so there's really nowhere else to go after that. In downturns, and I'm going to try to keep this all very, very high level just to kind of whet your appetite. In downturns, people are often moving out of single family rentals or their single family homes that they own and they're going down the housing ladder. So people are going from class A apartments often to B and C apartments, C to D maybe. And sometimes people are forced to you know, move into mobile home parks. And for a lot of people, um, this is actually a, a positive because you can get a three bedroom, two bath, or one and a half bath, depending on the you know model of the home. You can get a mobile home um, maybe thousand square feet, 1200 square feet. It just depends. And it's, it's standalone and it's a heck of a lot nicer and a lot better area than a lot of class D or C apartments. Um, and you get a lot more space and it's even, and it's, and it's cheaper most times. So, you know, it, it really depends on the area, but you can rent in, in most of the times mobile home parks, the tenants own the homes 
and the, the park itself just owns the land and the infrastructure and the tenants pay lot rent to the mobile home park owner. So the lot rent could be anywhere from 200 to 500 a month in most expensive places. And then you, the, the mortgage payment on the home might be anywhere from 300 to 700. It really, really varies and depends. But in, um, in most cases, that's for that amount of space, that's way cheaper than any apartment. So that's just, you know, just one kind of example of that self storage. We often say that there's four D's that drive storage demand. And that's death, divorce, downsizing and dislocation. And in and in 2008, 9, 10, there was certainly a lot of that happening. There are certainly other recession resistant opportunities out there besides, you know, what, what we're doing. Um, there's a lot of recession resistant businesses, um, businesses that like, for example, fire and flood restoration businesses that often get paid by insurance companies. Um, they're not, their source of revenue is coming from insurance companies, not the consumer usually. And those insurance companies are going to have money and they're going to be paying claims, you know, in, no matter what. So there's, there's so many things when you think about recession resistance. Um, and we're, we're all about the unsexy, the boring, the asset classes that maybe some people look down on. Um, and we, we view that as a positive. The wealthiest Americans utilize private banking. I recommend the experts at Living Wealth when you're ready to implement this strategy. So someone's going to say, well, you know, the sexy are those stocks that are high flying. It's those luxury homes where you can make, you know, buku dollars on appreciation. Why should someone be careful of, of those and why would they want to focus on recession resistant assets? Well, I think you could talk to um, a lot of the builders in 2008, 9, 10 and developers and a lot of the um, hedge funds and companies that were, you know, trading publicly traded securities. And you could ask them, you know, like, what did you, what, what would you do differently in the next downturn? Um, and I think a lot of them would say, you know, I, I was exposed to way too much risk. Um, we were betting on uncontrollable market conditions for our deals to work and for things to make sense. I think as much as you can pull back into your own hands to control the better and what that looks like with mobile home parks and storage, we're typically acquiring these places from mom and pop owners who have not been running their facility like a business. They have not been doing good marketing. They don't have good staff or good teams. They haven't raised the rents. Oftentimes they sometimes aren't even collecting rent from certain tenants for whatever reason they aren't evicting. And what, what that means is we can go in and there's instant value that can be created. And, you know, we, we talk about this a lot too. So with residential real estate, the value of the property is really a lot determined by the comparable properties, the comps in the neighborhood and all that in commercial real estate, the value is really determined by the income like the net operating income, which is the revenue minus the expenses, not including debt service, that the property is producing. And if you can control some of those income and expense, revenue expense items, you can literally force the value of that property to go up and that's in your control. You're not relying on uncontrollable market conditions to do that. And I think it's really important to, you know, in 
uncertain economic times, which we've been in the past couple of years, it seems, um, there's always going to be uncertainty. Like that's never going to change. There's always been uncertainty. You, you, you will never, you'll never have full control. Um, but the more control you can take to control the, the revenue and the, and the expenses, that's, that's the best. Um, and that certainly helps us sleep well at night. And I think it helps our investors as well. And historically, real estate in general has been used as an example of a hedge against inflation because you're typically getting a, a fixed rate debt. You know, not always, but typically you're getting fixed rate debt. We, we certainly do. Um, and you're paying that loan off over time, but your, um, your rents are going up and you can, you can control to a degree, um, how much those rents are going up in inflationary times. You know, it's, maybe it's a little easier to justify, um, rent increases because expenses might be increasing a little bit as well. So your, your debt payment, your, a lot of your expenses are staying the same, or maybe just increasing a little bit, but your revenue year by year goes up, right? A lot. And so you have this kind of um, arbitrage type situation. And I mean, and, and that's, that's kind of one of the simplest ways I can think about it with storage. Um, all the contracts or leases are month to month. And so you can raise the rents on a monthly basis if you choose to. Doesn't mean that always happens, but you can, you can literally in real time raise rents $5, uh, or, you know, month by month compared to office leases or some other types of leases where the leases are five years, three years, seven years, and you, you're capped at, you know, maybe a 3% rent increase per year, um, which oftentimes wouldn't be enough to keep up with inflation. What else are you recommending for accredited investors, you know, whether it's complementary to what you're doing or inside of what you're doing? My wife and I have very little of our own money in the stock market. We have some IRAs with Vanguard. Um, we do have a little bit of money in cryptocurrency, very little. Um, and then everything else is in private commercial real estate through our Wellings funds. I'm, I'm an LP investor, same as our other investors. I don't know where else I could get a you know better risk adjusted return. Um, I think there's definitely value in being diversified across different asset classes and different sponsors and, and all that. I mean, I think there's some interesting things about ATMs, like most ATMs, a lot of people don't know this, are not owned by banks. Banks, they're privately owned and operated. And there's different opportunities out there where you can invest in portfolios of ATMs. There's a whole subset of American population that doesn't have a bank account. And you know, even today, they're still using cash. Ben, what parting suggestions do you have for us? I, I think it comes down to education and connections to the right people and experience. And I mean, whatever asset class or investment you're pursuing, um, learn as much as you possibly can about it and get connected to people who are doing it or who have done it and start dipping your toes in the water. Um, I think there's a number of interesting ways to dip your toes in the water with commercial real estate. There's a number of crowdfunding platforms that you can put in as little as $5,000 and invest in some commercial real estate opportunities. Um, and just learn, you know, just see what it's like, um, see what the reporting's like. And yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so many little tests you can do. And there's this concept in the book, I believe it's called great by choice by Jim Collins, where he says fire bullets, then cannonballs. And the idea of that is, before you, you know, jump all the way into the deep end off the, 
you know, the 30 meter platform, why don't you just try, you know, jumping in uh, to the shallow end and, and, you know, getting a feel for the water, uh, you know, from just the, the side of the pool. And then once you get more comfortable, you can, you know, make these bigger moves. And so I view, you know, for example, investing in a crowdfunded real estate opportunity with $5,000, I view that as a bullet before you're firing a cannonball or jumping into the shallow or going into the shallow end before you jump off the 30 meter uh, platform and, and, and do a, you know, a one and a half front flip. How do people get a hold of you and your firm? Wellingscapital.com, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, capital.com is, is where you can learn more about our firm. If you go to wellingscapital.com slash resources, um, there's a couple eBooks on mobile home parks and storage that uh, you can get access to. And uh, you're also welcome to email me, ben at wellingscapital.com. And there are more investing secrets that are quite powerful for you to build and maximize your wealth. As a matter of fact, I've created a free guide to help you to be more effective in your investing journey. It's called the top investing hacks the exclusive rich are not telling us. And I want you to take action right now by clicking the link in the description below. I want you to have this exclusive access so that you can understand the strategies and the tactics the rich use to maximize and grow their wealth. All right, it's time for you to experience financial freedom. The information contained in this episode are opinions not to be used as individual guidance. As always, consult your own financial team for your investment decisions.